This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sergei Samsonov holding. For Ralston. Ralston a shot. Save. Score! Patrice Bergeron! His first NHL goal! This is a guy we wanted on the ice, Dave. He's hunt tonight. With more and more confidence with each game, with each given responsibility that he earns. Johnny on the spot, picks up that loose puck. The deft hands the shift to his backhand and slip it in behind Czech Monica. That was Patrice Bergeron's first career NHL goal, Mr. Vickers. And it came back on October 18th, 2003. Today, July 25th, 2023. Patrice Bergeron officially calls it a career next stop Toronto and the Hockey Hall of Fame for one of the Bruins all-time greats and for one of the greatest Canadian hockey players of all time welcome to the program it is Sportsnet today Logan Gordon Aaron Vickers along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary Alberta for our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Cracked Foundation Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Alongside our outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, this afternoon. A busy three hours for you. We'll start with the Patrice Bergeron conversation as he has officially announced his retirement from the National Hockey League. Our NHL offseason reviews continue today around the Carolina Hurricanes conversation with Adam Gold in hour one. Plus, you don't want to miss it in hour two. Kurt Miloski, now former head coach of the Calgary Roughnecks, joins us to talk about his decision to move to Vancouver, become the Warriors GM and head coach. Plus, our WPCA report on a Tuesday and a Jays report with Taylor, a Stamps report with Patty Dumas. But we say hello and good afternoon. Text line open to you at 960-960. Questions, comments, queries, anything you want to have on the show. We started off with a quick hello to my co-host this afternoon and all week long, Mr. Vickers. How are we on this Tuesday? Doing well. How about you? A little surprising news maybe perhaps coming down today, this morning. You alluded to it. Patrice Bergeron one day, one day after his 38th birthday. Calls it quits. Gives it up. Hangs him up. Were you surprised? To a degree. I thought this was going to be a situation where he and David Krejci decide September 1 that they'll be in training camp. It's not as though this is a guy that's on the back nine. It's not as if he's just playing out a contract. And again, he didn't necessarily leave anything on the table, but at the same time, could have. But he's still at age 38. His 37-year-old season, he was a Selkie Award winner. 
what do you have? Ninety-seven percent of the of the vote, the first place vote for that award. Something ridiculous. Ninety-seven point six five of the first place votes for the Selkie at age thirty-seven, his final season. But there's something to be said about going out on a high note, and I don't know if you can go out on any higher note short of a Stanley Cup than that of which Patrice Bergeron is doing so on Tuesday, July 25th. Yeah, I think, I believe it was August of last season, of last offseason, that Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci made their notice to Boston that that he was coming back and that Krejci was returning uh, from overseas for another season with the Boston Bruins. So we're a little bit ahead of time for this year's decision, but I also think that that's a a pertinent one from the now former captain of the Boston Bruins, knowing the hole that he leaves and knowing the position that he puts the Boston Bruins in. And we'll get to that in a moment because it's a very interesting conversation to me. But I think I think this is a guy who, who honestly, Aaron, didn't want to drag this out to September mm-hmm. and then go to Boston and go, look, guys, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just not in it. I don't want to leave you guys with no time to figure out this situation. If he's not into it by late July, early August... And you're right, he's not going out on a whimper. He's going out, like you said, short of a Stanley Cup, pretty much as strong as anybody can go out. We're not talking about a guy that's I don't you know, I just I don't know what else to say. At fifty eight points in seventy eight games last year, he was still the top center for the Boston Bruins. He was still as defensively sound as he's been since night one back in two thousand and three. And this was a a second round pick that turned into a hall of famer, a, a captain, uh, a, a shoe in for team Canada at every international event that he wanted to participate in. I, I mean, the, the resume for Patrice Bergeron is, it, it really does speak for itself. Let's I'm going to drop this and I'm going to double back on what you said as a, as a second round pick. Bergeron was a top three finalist for the Selkie 12 straight years and was a top five finisher in 14 straight. When's the next time you're ever going to see that? And it's not like you've got to be productive to be in that conversation as well. It just isn't the defensive forward award as it's aptly named. You still have to produce offense to be considered for the award. He does. Yeah. You have to be elite in almost both categories. You can't No, You're not, McDavid level points, but you have to be close to point per game. And 12, 12 straight years he was at. And so I want to double back to that second round pick because if you go back to 2002, that's a free pick for the Boston Bruins. That's that, when they were handing out compensation picks for free agents, right? Yes. So I read that story today that it was, I believe it was Bill Guerin that to left. the Dallas Stars. Boston didn't sign Bill Guerin was gifted the compensatory... Compensatory? Yeah, compensatory. That's a, that's a word I haven't had to dust that's out a good one. I like that, though. The 45th overall pick, the Bruins, Bruins used it to select Patrice Bergeron. And now I would argue... I don't know if you would, but I would argue that he is on the Mount Rushmore of the Boston Bruins. There's some elite, elite company Ooh. there. Yeah, it's an original six team, so there's a lot... Or Esposito, if you really want to just do peak top end performance, Cam Neely. I mean, as far as consistency and 
I mean, the guy was nominated for 12 straight years for the Selkie. I I know. And And it seems like a crime that he only has, he's only got what, one cup? uh, Yeah, just the one. It feels almost like a crime that that guy, uh, along with the supporting cast that he had, but only one cup for all those years of service. It was almost every year also in the Lady Bing conversation. He won the King Clancy Memorial Trophy back in 2012, 2013. He's been on the heart ballot. The highest he ever finished in heart trophy voting was fifth in 2013-2014, which is incredible to me that that's the highest he would have finished on that list. But Mark Messier Leadership Award went in there, too. So continue the the accolades for Patrice Bergeron. Only three All-Star games over his career. But again, does he... He's not your traditional superstar in the sense of like Connor McDavid is is the easy example. He right. never he never cracked a hundred points, but he was your number one center and the guy that you would trust with the hardest matchups day in, day out. And and you know this as well as anybody. We've talked so much draft coverage with you because of the stuff you guys do at future considerations, Vickers, but how often does a second round pick in the deepest of drafts jump into the opening night lineup year one and become the kind of impact maker that he was. Lou talks about it all the time. Anytime we ever talked about Boston being in town or Patrice Bergeron, that's what Peter Labardius used to bring up in all of our chats was that a second round draft pick came in at age 18 and played 71 games for the Boston Bruins at that first season. And he never looked back. The only one I can think of that did it alongside Bergeron, not alongside Bergeron, but in my sort of recent memory banks is Ryan O'Reilly after he was taken 33rd overall. So literally as it would stand today, it'd be the first pick of the second round. At that point, there were 30 NHL franchises. So he was a couple couple picks into day two. But Ryan O'Reilly and Patrice Bergeron are the only second rounders that I kind of think of or that come to the top of mind when it comes to, okay, you're not a first round pick and you're a regular in the lineup four months later. I'm shocked that Patrice Bergeron's career high in points is 79 in a single season. That floors me. This is a guy that had 1,040 points in just under 1,300 games. So he wasn't that far off from being a point-per-game player, yet his career high, 79 points in a single season. Now that he only played 65 games that year, but still. Floors me that that's... That's the career high for him. Postseason career points, 20 in 23 games in 2010-2011 when they would go on to beat the Vancouver Canucks in the Stanley Cup final. A playoff performer through and through, 128 points in 170 playoff games, 14 seasons in his career, Aaron. He was uh, a member of uh, the Bruins, so then they would go to the, um, the playoffs. In the postseason, his face-off win percentage, 58%. That's unbelievable. In his NHL career, he finishes at 58.9%. One of the greatest face-off possession guys ever in the NHL. And like I said, eighth in the Calder voting his first year. He would then start to get in the Lady Bing conversation. Then the Selkie vote started coming in. He wins his first Selkie in 2011, 2012. And it just continued there for 
for Patrice Bergeron. I said it off the top, and I really believe it. I think the next step for him is is Toronto. Oh yeah, that that yeah that fits with you. Oh, first ballot. Exactly. Without, yeah. So for his generation, which I'll somewhat dub my generation. Where does he rank for you in terms of important Canadians? Because we ran through all the NHL accolades. On top of that, he's got World Juniors gold, World Championship gold, Olympic gold. He's a member of the Triple Gold Club. He's got a World Cup gold. Like, he's not Sidney Crosby, and we're not trying to pump his tires necessarily to be, but the winning resume... He might be. He won't be far off of Crosby as far as... I don't have the active list in front of me, but top five of that... 2003-ish generation? Easily. I think so. I, without a doubt. If you're talking to me about importance of players internationally for Team Canada, for me, it's Sydney's at the top of the list, and, and I, I might put Bergeron as high as second. Jonathan Taves in that conversation as well. Yeah, and it, look, and Bergeron formed that line late of the late half with Marshan and Crosby, right? Yeah. That was one of the... That's, I, believe that was I still the, see that... Tossed out there as if there was a best on best to happen today, I still see that line put together. Like in, if you in started, people's projections. If you played Team Canada against another international team in September, I'd be hard pressed not to put that line together. And they're all significantly older than when that line, I believe it was the World Cup of Hockey, wasn't or 2016? it? 2016. I thought they were together in 2014 as well. I can't remember, to be honest with you, but I thought, I thought it was a World Cup of Hockey thing that uh, Canada put together uh, in Toronto when they did that for one year and then never decided to do it again because we're the NHL and we can't get it together. Um, I thought that's what, I thought that's when that line created itself, but it might've been 2014. The, you the know fact what? I don't, is I don't think still... it was, I don't think it was 2014 because I don't think Brad Marchand at his peak just yet. So I think it would have been the 2016. Fact of the matter is I'd still put them together today. If I had the choice, yeah. as good as Canada is going to be. And you're going to add McDavid and McKinnon and all that. I'd be hard pressed not to put that line together again today. I'm with you, first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. In my mind, the international success, the personal success, team success with Boston. I mean, Boston will will look back at this era and and certainly be frustrated that it only resulted in the one Stanley Cup because they could be there with Chicago, with Pittsburgh, with LA. Right? They were in there a couple times, but Bergeron, Marchand, Krejci, Chara, Rask, and Nett. Like that's those are five pillars of a perennial Stanley Cup contender. And yep. they only came away with one. Where is he in the conversation of the 2003 draft? Oof. He's one of four players in that draft that hit 1000 points. Pavelski gets laugh and stall. There's a ton that have hit the 1000 game mark. Just looking at the list right now, I don't know how he isn't number one. Is that, like, who is your contender there? Getzlaff had probably, I don't have the number right in front of me, but close to the best points per game. He had 1,019 points in 1,157 games. Bergeron had 1,040 in 1,294, and Stull had 10,063 10,000, 1,063 in 1,365. Yeah, so if you're you're top three finalists for a major award in a dozen years straight, and you're still the second most productive guy from your draft class, 
I don't know how you don't necessarily. Well, and that's, and that's the thing. Didn't we just sit here and talk about how he never had a year higher than what did you say? Seventy nine points. I think was his career high. That's a pretty good model of consistency to wind up in the same high level of, of score as everybody else in your draft class, which is one of the better of all time draft classes. And we just talked about how you were never a scoring superstar. Like Getzlaff hit 91 points. He hit 82 points, 87. Like he had some, some pretty high scoring years. Bergeron didn't touch some of those years, but somehow still winds up almost there with, with points per game with Getzlaff. It's pretty impressive. I think he's the number one. And that's a guy that for as lauded as the first round, the opening round of the 2003 draft was. He was a he was a second rounder, as you mentioned. 45th in 2003. What now for the Boston Bruins? What, what in the world do you do now if you're the Boston Bruins? And we'll bring it to the Calgary Flames because I've seen it go down that road today. Aaron, if you haven't noticed, the Flames have a center iceman that may be available that has a pretty good defensive resume of of his own that I don't know would you say Patrice Bergeron esque light? Patrice Bergeron light is, right? would, is where would I would that fit how Elias Lindholm's game looks in your mind does that well we heard Jeff Ward say it when he was here and he has and he, played, he had he both coached, of them he's coached both of them so that's as good a guy to estimate it as anybody if there's a guy to plug and play for the Boston Bruins I feel like it would be Elias Lindholm. Now, that's not to say that that's a direct one-for-one comparison. Because again, as much as we want to talk about how respectfully how old Patrice Bergeron is, and he had 58 points last year, that's still from a that's still big shoes to fill defensively. Even if you are a sulky runner-up to Patrice Bergeron. The leadership element, just the sheer dynamic of the presence that Patrice Bergeron had in that room. But if I'm the Boston Bruins and I'm general manager Don Sweeney, I'm going, we just had, what, 135 points last year? And now I'm losing arguably my most important forward. What do I have to do to make sure my team stays as competitive as possible after winning the President's Trophy, but then stumbling out of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Is that a is that the uh, number I am I hitting a 403 area code today and just inquiring about hey Craig I'm sure you uh sure you saw the news? <laughs> I uh I hear you may or may not be doing something with your top center. I just lost mine. Can we have a conversation? Well, and and the thing the, the point remains for Boston and we'll get into whether or not there's assets to be given up in a Lindholm trade, because I think that's a stumbling block that this comes to. But if you're Boston, I just, is Pavel Zaka number one center material for you? Is Charlie Coyle the guy that can take that, that over for you? I don't know. And look, Patrice Bergeron's gone, but David uh, and David Krejci is potentially gone, but Brad Marchand still has two years at $6.125 million. You just re-upped David Pasternak on a massive contract for $11.25 million. Coyle, Hampus Lindholm, no relation, Brandon Carlo, all signed up long-term. 
it doesn't feel to me like a team that's willing to take a massive step back. And by step back, I mean like out of the playoffs. Like I, I can't see them being okay with with year thirty, you know, age thirty five year Brad Marchand still a very good NHLer, all of a sudden being out of the playoffs and, and trying to rebuild this thing in a couple of years. If you slide Elias Lindholm into that lineup, I, I like this Boston Bruins team a lot more than I do. I just don't know. Is Pavel Zaka a number one center in your mind in Boston? No, no not at all. If he's your number two center, I don't mind it. I don't think he's. I don't think he's your number one solution, and I don't think there's an internal solution for the Boston Bruins when it comes to replacing Patrice Bergeron. Like Zach had 57 and 82. He had 20 goals. Sorry, he had 21 goals. NHL career high, 21 goals. NHL career high, 57 points. And it's not as though we're talking. He's 26. So how much more runway does he have to develop after already spending seven years in the NHL? So then it begs the question, well, if Zaka isn't your immediate replacement, who out there is available with the number one center on the market that you can negotiate and and try to sweeten a deal to suddenly make that hole that you have in your lineup disappear without necessarily touching the current assets you have on your roster. And I think this is going to spark a lot of Elias Lindholm to the Boston Bruins. I've seen it already. I've seen plenty of of it on Flames Twitter that, you know, hey, if you're looking for number one set now, here comes the the question is if you're Herein the lies the rub. Yeah, here's the the problem. What does Boston have to offer you if you're the Calgary Flames? And the answer is not a whole lot. No, then this is the cost of winning, right? This is the the rub when it comes to winning is they don't hold a 2024 first round pick. And technically you'd have to put in a few of those uh, fun conditions if you wanted their 2025 first round pick because it is connected to the 2024 pick on conditions already. So they might have to give that one up. So it's kind of that. Remember when we traded Sean Monahan to, to Montreal yep. and we had to go through all of the conditions because there's conditions on the pick. You're talking about that. They have no pick in the first three rounds in 2024. They have no second round pick in 2025. And what's worse they have one of the most depleted prospect pools as it is. They didn't have a first or second rounder this year. They didn't have a first rounder in 2022. They had a first in 2021 in Fabian Liesel, and I don't know necessarily how his development trajectory has gone since being the number 21 pick in 2021. And they didn't have one in 2020 as well. So over the course of the last four drafts, they have two picks in the opening two rounds. Maybe three if my math is off there. One in the first. Not we, ideal. We had Steven Ellis on yesterday doing prospect analysis for the Calgary Flames, and he did one for Boston already because he's going in alphabetical order. His first sentence going into Boston's prospect pool analysis, let's be frank, Boston has one of the worst prospect pools in the NHL. That's not great. That is not a ringing endorsement. No. And I don't think he's taking liberties. His biggest weakness, there's no real game-breaker in this pool. Nobody appears to be a high-impact first-liner, no top-pairing defender, no top-flight goaltender. 
uh, and what they lack in skill, they gain back in hardworking, energetic skaters. That so to they, me, they try hard. Like Not skilled, but they the, try hard. Yeah, sure. That's the definition of you and me. That's not what I want in my top prospects. Right? Good in the room, sure. But bottom six potential guys, I... Heck of a DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But as far as... Like, if you want to talk about futures deals, and there are some that feel a certain way about futures deals with this team already, like, you're talking future, future deals for the Boston Bruins and the Calgary Flames to make it work. I just, I don't see it. I really don't. I mean, who on the roster that's younger kind of intrigues you? I, Trent Frederick uh, kind of intrigues me as a bottom six guy, but not a guy I'm building the deal around by any way, shape, or form. Defensively, I don't know. I, like You're not getting Charlie McAvoy, so, you know, is Matt Grizzlick or, or Brandon Carlo of... Of, of high interest to you? I really don't know. Right? It's it's just, it's it's one of those things where need certainly fits for the Boston Bruins, but... The return doesn't fit the for the Calgary Flames. The return doesn't fit for the Calgary Flames. I, you'd have to get mad creative. I just can't see what Craig Conroy would be on the other end of that phone, Aaron, being like, yeah, that's, that's the package for me. Give me that 2027 first-round pick, and we'll we'll start talking. And that's the other thing too is, is how far do you want to kick that first rounder down the road before you go? It's it's got it won't never never have negative value, but what good is a first rounder in twenty twenty seven for a team that wants to stay competitive? So it'll be a twenty five to thirty two pick. That if that end up remains somewhat of the case, you're not looking till twenty twenty nine to get that guy that prospect into your lineup. Probably a best case scenario. What year is it now? Twenty twenty three. Yep, six years. That's a that's a healthy weight, just a little bit for a key piece in return for a number one center. I just don't necessarily see from the assets perspective, unless you're looking at a package of NHL ready guys off of their roster that you can you know pick two or three of, flip one or two of them, and, and keep one here. Like I just from a if you're looking from a rebuilding perspective, if that's the route you're hoping to go in a move with Elias Lindholm. Boston Bruins ain't it. Well, and by the way, have you seen the the other number one centers that sit in that division? Barkov, Stutzla, Stamkos, Matthews, Tage Thompson. You, you feel comfortable if you're Boston going in against Pavel Zaka and Charlie Coyle with that group? Because I'm not. I mean, if I were the opponents, I'd be okay with it. I'd be fine with it. Yeah, sure. Austin top, Matthews. The top guy that you've got playing against my top guys every time we meet up in a divisional game. It's gone now. Thank he, you. Even Dylan Larkin or Nick Suzuki. Suddenly, the Boston Bruins down the middle. If you're a centerman in the athletic, divi- athletic, the Atlantic Division, you're probably not too sad about what happened today in Boston. No. From a competitive standpoint, you might have a personal relationship with the guy, and you wish him the best of luck and everything. But if you're in the Eastern Conference in particular, and you're a centerman, your job just got that much easier. Uh, quickly on the text line at 960-960, this text says that any talk with Boston, you'd have to include Lysel and Future first. They don't have a first right now, but Lysel, a first plus-plus, has to be the start. Lysel had 37 points in 54 games in the AHL. He's 20. It's his first pro season in North America. But even still, 14 goals in 54 games isn't 
uh, blow the doors off you kind of production mark when you're an offensive guy. Uh, this one going back to the conversation we had about the 2003 draft class. For me, Marc-Andre Fleury, still number one in the draft. Then I'd go Patrice Bergeron. And this from our pal Matt and Cocker. He says, it's finally time, Captain Bradley Kevin Marchand. Seems like the obvious choice is the next captain, no? Why not Milan? Uh, He's why back. Not, why not Milan? Why not? No, I think Marshawn makes the most sense. Unless you want to go long-term with it and give it to Pastanak or perhaps McAvoy. I feel like they'll do it in a succession sort of scenario where they don't mind if it's only on Marshawn for one or two years and then he yeah, decides I mean, they're, because they're, they're lifelong guys. So yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Patrice Bergeron announces his retirement from the NHL today, feeling uh, leaving a big hole in the Boston Bruins organization. We'll chat more about that as the afternoon rolls on. We've got to take a break. When we come back on the other side, our NHL offseason review continues. We're diving in to the Carolina Hurricanes, who have made some significant changes this offseason. But are they actually better suited to win a Stanley Cup next year? We'll ask Adam Gold that next. The Sportsnet Today rolls on here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. We're rolling on here from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios in Calgary, Alberta. It's Logan and Aaron along with you. Cam and Taylor are outstanding producers along with us this afternoon. Mr. Vickers, we continue our NHL offseason reviews. We're diving across the league, and today we've settled on the Carolina Hurricanes. Interesting group, some interesting ads. Here to chat with us on all things Hurricanes offseason. Very excited to go down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Welcome in, Adam Gold. Kings pre and post game, the Adam Gold Show. Adam, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? We're great, sir. Thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, look, disappointing end of the year for the Hurricanes. Obviously, hoping for more when you've got a, as talented a group as Rod Brindamore and company had. But uh, what's the outlook been on the offseason? How have we felt about what Don Waddell's been able to get done the last couple of weeks? I mean, I think Carolina's done a great job in the offseason. Uh, they haven't necessarily added the sniper uh, that I know they would still like to add. But, you know, they got as far as they did last year, missing two pieces that they really were counting on at the beginning of the season. And Max Pacioretty, who played all the five games, and Andre Svechnikov, who missed the last 20 in the playoff with the knee injury. My guess is he'll be ready to go for the opener. So they add Michael Bunting to the forward group. They get Svechnikov back. I think they still would like to add another forward. Hopefully, Tavo Teravainen won't have as bad a year as he had last year. Uh, and the forward mix could be good. Tony D'Angelo just gets signed after Dmitry Orlov uh, signed on the first day of free agency. D'Angelo, assuming he's in the lineup, would, I think, improve Carolina's power play. It's hard to really argue with what they have done. They have not lost any prospects. Um, they're still slightly under the cap. Mm-hmm. And if they make another move, uh, they'll probably have additional cap space to work with. So uh, I think Don Waddell and company deserve a lot of credit. Assuming Svechnikov's healthy heading into the regular season, does this look to you to be a better group than maybe they finished with last year? Well, than they finished with last year, of course. I mean, um, there was no patchy ready, no Svechnikov, Teravainen, 
basically didn't play in the playoffs because of the injury he suffered against the Islanders. So they played for the most part in the postseason, even though Taravana did come back against Florida. He was a shell of himself. Uh, he really shouldn't have been playing. So they were down Pacioretty, Svechnikov, and Taravainen for basically their entirety of the playoff run. And they still made it to the conference finals. So, uh, yeah, they'll be much better. And you add Michael Bunting to the mix, uh, who's kind of, uh, you know, he's not afraid to stick his nose in there. He can score in between the hash marks, which is something that Carolina has really needed. Uh, yeah, I love, I love their forward group. And if they could somehow manage to add another piece to that, which I know they're trying to work on, then, I mean, they could be, they could have one. I mean, I still think they have one of the best rosters in the league in spite mm-hmm. of the fact that they don't have any real offensive superstars. You know, there's no Matthews or, um, you know, McDavid's or McKinnon's in this group, but they got a bunch of really good players. Yeah, and one of those really young good players is Svechnikov. And I'm just curious for, for our listeners out here in Calgary, Adam, who maybe don't see Svechnikov on a day-to-day basis, can you sort of just let us know how big of a loss he was late season for Carolina and what they had to go through without him in those three playoff rounds? I think they I think they've missed him mostly on the power play because as a big body, he can score in the middle of the ice. But the funny thing about Andre is that he hasn't been great kind of on the power play. Uh, but I do think that that's where they miss him because he's in a, he's a, like a, he's a magnet. Uh, he's a magnet for attention. And that's just a dynamic player that was taken from their lineup. But I think on the, in the grand scheme of things, I think you just miss Andre's presence every day on the ice. He's got a great personality. He's a hard worker. Uh, he's a great teammate. And I think his absence probably impacted Martin Natchez the most because Natchez's game completely fell apart when Andre was gone because I think Natchez tried to make up for Svechnikov's absence. But it's just really more of his presence than anything else. Just is always happy. I don't think Andre has ever had a bad day. <laughs> he really hasn't. He is a super guy. Uh, and we haven't even begun to scratch the surface, I think, for what he can do. Adam Gold's along with us. Our NHL offseason review continuing. We're taking a look at the Carolina Hurricanes this afternoon. I'm Logan Gordon, joined by Aaron Vickers. Aaron? Adam, I'm just curious the reaction to Tony D'Angelo signing a one-year $1.675 million contract. I don't think it was the most unrealistic or unexpected scenario, but I'm curious the reception he got when signing that new one-year deal. Well, here's the thing. I think all of the vitriol that might have come with the Tony D'Angelo signing happened two summers ago when he signed with Carolina the first time. Right. And there obviously was fresh off the, basically, you know, uh, the, the firing by the Rangers terminating his contract and all of that. Um, and for basic, basically insubordination with the former, with the Rangers coaching staff at the time, I thought that was, that was when the, the loudest, you know, cry was heard. But D'Angelo in the year with Carolina, it has been nothing but a 
uh, a model citizen for the he had zero problems with Carolina's coaching staff and a great teammate. So let me illustrate this point. D'Angelo was here for one season. Brett Pesci, Hurricanes defenseman, just got married. D'Angelo was at Pesci's wedding. Uh, was it last weekend? So it's obvious. And a bunch of teammates. And like almost all of Carolina's team was there. He is just he was just that that popular a player. His teammates loved him. D'Angelo is a smart hockey player. I mean, he's not defensively gifted. We understand that, but he is offensively gifted, and Carolina could use that. Now all they have to do is figure out a way to get him on the ice because the Hurricanes have legitimately seven NHL defensemen, and Rod's not going to play 11-7 and seven every night. He's just not. I don't think he's going to play 11-7 and seven basically any night, but um, – there's still a long way to go between now and the time uh, even they get to training camp. So I'll give the Hurricanes two months to sort it out. Yeah, you had mentioned off the top, if they can get him into the lineup, who's he in competition with? Who's the skill set that kind of matches his as an offensive defenseman? Who is he competing with to be an everyday regular in the lineup? I mean, logically speaking, he's competing with Jalen Chatfield to play. But Chatfield was so good last year. that So here's the dilemma if you're Carolina. If you bring these seven to the start of the season, you're probably deciding between Chatfield and D'Angelo who to play. And again, D'Angelo was dynamite. I'd rather uh, Chatfield was dynamite defensively last year. And he's got some offensive upside too. Um, if they trade Pesci, I'm almost positive that Chatfield would take his spot on the second pair. So that's who you're talking about. That's how good this defensive core is, is that they legitimately have, if you say that D'Angelo can play in your top four, and he played with Slavin two years ago and had a great season, Carolina just didn't see him as a great option to be a top pair defenseman. They wanted him back as a third pair, but he – Obviously, that didn't work out. But this is how good their defense is. They've got seven guys who can play top four minutes. And there isn't a team in the NHL with that. That's the, the Hurricanes are the unicorn in the league with seven guys who, in their mind, think they're top four defensemen. So I don't know how it's going to work out. My guess is that they're still going to move Pesci. But it all depends on what they re- get, get in return um, because Brett Pesci is an elite shutdown defender. And those guys can help you win a Stanley Cup. Uh, Not that D'Angelo won't contribute to it, but interesting decisions coming up. But my guess is that he's fighting with Chatfield for that spot. But Jalen is really, really good, and I think part of the future. Let me ask you about a potential eighth, because Eric Carlson told Swedish journalist Adam Johansson earlier this week that he had talked with Pittsburgh, Carolina, Toronto, and Seattle about facilitating a deal. Does D'Angelo kill any interest from Carolina in this regard? No, no, because I think that would be more than likely a brief landing spot for Pesci. Um, but look, Carolina is not making any deal for Eric Carlson. Certainly now they have no cap room. I mean, they have about a million dollars in cap space. Uh, so any deal, Seattle would have to rather 
uh, San Jose would have to retain a bunch of money. They would also, uh, the Hurricanes, probably have to launder that contract to another team so they could take some money back, and Carolina would have to send money away. So, I look, if you're asking me who gives Carolina a better chance to win a Stanley Cup, is it Eric Carlson or is it Brett Pesci? A hundred times in a row, I will say Brett Pesci. Um, so I don't see Carlson coming here. But, I mean, Carolina is going to have to do something. I mean, again, again, they could just – D'Angelo or Chatfield could be a healthy scratch, and then we don't, we, we don't even have to have the conversation. Uh, the Hurricanes could go into the season with what they have right now, defense, offense, goaltending, and they're fine. I think it's more likely that that happens then they end up with Eric Carlson. Adam, what's uh, Michael Bunting's role expected to be with this team? He comes over after a couple of years in Toronto with uh, some fairly good numbers, but obviously it's going to be a different role. We mentioned those superstars like a Matthews or a, a Marler on this Carolina team. Where's Rod Brindamore going to try to get the most out of Michael Bunting? I mean, I think, I think Bunting goes next to Sebastian Ajo on the left side, and I don't know who's going to play on the right. It was Seth Jarvis at the end of the year and on the playoffs. Could be Martin Natchez, could be Tevo Teravainen, who Ajo has played with a ton. Uh, and if you get a, the best of Tevo Teravainen with Ajo and a Michael Bunting, who can just agitate and kind of be that sandpaper that you need in the top line sometimes, I think that could be a great first line. I will point this out. When Michael Furlan, you guys know Michael Furlan yes, from his sir, days yep. in Calgary. When Furlan got to Raleigh in the trade with Dougie Hamilton, it was Furland, Ajo, and Teravainen on Carolina's top line. And for about the first six weeks, until Furland got hurt, that was as good a line as there was in the Eastern Conference uh, that didn't feature one of those elite offensive superstars. But Furland got off to a great start, and his physicality was important for Ajo and Teravainen to give them the space to operate. And I think Bunting would do the same thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I see Michael Bunting sitting, uh, kind of slotting on that top, top line with Ajo and whoever's playing on the right side. And until further notice, that's where I think Rod Brindamore is probably thinking about. What's the future look like for a guy like Sebastian Ajo going into a contract year here pending UFA next season? Have they started to broach contract extension talks with him, or is that something that will be taken care of uh, after next season, Adam? Nah, it'll be taken care of this summer. I don't believe they'll get to training camp without a contract extension. My understanding is that they are super close to uh, kind of crossing the T's and dotting the I's on it. And and there's a, a fair amount of T's and I's in Sebastian Ajo. So um, I, think, I think it'll be done. Uh, it probably should have already been done, but uh, sometimes Carolina's owner, Tom Dundon, is not the most uh, it's not the easiest to deal with in negotiations. So, uh, but I believe it'll get done. Uh, Sebastian Ajo will not play for another NHL team other than the Hurricanes, in my opinion. Adam, just one final one for me. Who are you counting on to have the most impactful year-over-year growth amongst the forward core? Is it a guy like Seth Jarvis, or do you look elsewhere in the lineup for a guy that's going to take that next step? Well, I mean, Spetsnikov didn't finish the season. I expect him to have a, uh, a really good, healthy year. Tavar Teravainen had a terrible year. I expect him to bounce back. 
Martin Natchez kind of fell off the cliff at the end of the season and in the playoffs. Uh, I'm hoping he has a full, a good full season. But for me, you mentioned him. Seth Jarvis had his production drop last year, but he was a much better player than he was as a rookie. By the end of the season, he was killing penalties for this team, and he's good at it. And he plays like he has no fear for his own physical well-being. He is fearless. He goes to the middle of the ice. He plays with a physical snarl that you would never expect from somebody who looks like Seth. He is a dynamite kid. I will be surprised if he doesn't take the step this year uh, that puts him into the 60 to 65 point range. Uh, I think he'll push for 30 goals. I do, especially if Michael Bunting can have a full healthy season on the left side if he's playing with Ajo. Um, I love Seth Jarvis's future, and I think the, uh, the organization does as well. I think they probably tried to get something done with him long-term before Seth busted out, but I think that bust-out is coming. Adam, great stuff. Thanks for hopping on with us today. Really do appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of your offseason. Hope we can do this again once we get back into hockey season in the fall, sir. Well, you have my number, so that's my mistake. But anytime. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it, sir. You guys got it. Take care. Adam Gold joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Hurricanes pre- and post-game show, host of the Adam Gold show as well. Uh, all things Carolina Hurricanes. and interesting group. I thought him mentioning that they're still looking for a forward is a really interesting answer. Your question on Eric Carlson surprised, surprised me, to be honest. Me. I thought for sure you and me had the conversation. That's why we go and ask actual people who know things, not us dummies. I, I was in the same boat as you as soon as I saw Tony D'Angelo. Like, yeah, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I can't see them really being in on Carlson. He goes, yeah, why wouldn't they be? And I go, oh, maybe we're not done talking about Carolina this offseason. They can quote-unquote launder a contract. <laughs> I love that term. <laughs> I'm going to steal that from Adam. That's a great Adam. one to have, hey? Oh, absolutely. And if any fantasy hockey players are out there, Adam's buying high on or buying low or sleepering in Seth Jarvis. So don't forget about him in your drafts. Uh, Adam joining us down the Alice Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Appreciate that. We'll uh, continue using the guest hotline when we come back. We'll kick off hour two. We're looking forward to this conversation. A major loss for the Calgary Roughnecks going back to last week when Kurt Belowski, uh was announced as the next GM and head coach of the Vancouver Warriors. Kurt joins us next. We're going to talk about his decision to go to Vancouver and the legacy he leaves behind here in Calgary. We'll kick off Hour 2 with Kurt Miloski here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.